in, in a moment, we're going to be uh, ch- being uh, challenged by a subject in which it is really impossible to, uh, to actually apply. Because we're going to talk about taming the tongue. And I want to tell you right in the beginning, the Bible says you can't tame the tongue. Uh, but with God's help, you can sure use it in a lot better way than you are using it. Uh, there's that little uh, two-ounce two uh, mucus Whatever in the middle of the, between your teeth and, the, and, your, and your gums is, can either be used for good or it can be used for evil. It can either bring light or it can bring heat. Uh, it's all about how you're going to use it. And, and the Bible wants us to be fully aware. It's not about not saying anything, but saying the right things. And as we go to Honduras, it's not about simply living the life. We're going to be speaking the life about the life, the one who is the life. And so we really want you to be praying for us as, as we go, but also we'll be praying for you. Because really the mission endeavor is for all of us, wherever we are. And whether it's the person right across the street or the person in our home or the people we uh, work with, God wants us to be instruments of his, to, to speak the, the word of truth and love and live it out. And as we look at it this morning, we're going to be seeing that as uh, we look in God's word. But with that, let's look to the Lord in prayer one more time. Let's ask God to use this time in a powerful way. Father, we thank you so much that you really want to speak into our lives. And Father, it's so easy for us to, uh, to hear the word but not really apply it. And yet through your spirit and through the power of the word that really penetrates who we really are, you can really speak into our lives so we can know you fully and then live for you faithfully. Help us uh, to have that as a passion of our life today. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. If you've been with us on any other Sunday, I know some of you are very new, you're just brand new this morning, but you, you know I have, a, I have uh, many temptations that sometimes I, I don't resist and sometimes I do resist. But one of the temptations I have, if, if I haven't preached on our series in a couple weeks, I want to review everything I've already said over the last uh, number of weeks. And I'm going to resist that a little bit. But, but James is a book in which it really speaks about, okay, how do you live it out? How do you live out your faith? Uh, we, we can talk about what is faith, and faith is as only good as the object of your faith. You can have a lot of confidence in something. You can put a lot of trust in someone, but your faith is only as good as the object or the person of your faith. And, and it's our conviction here that Jesus is the one more than anyone else who's ever lived, uh, and he began everything that is living, is the one you need to put your trust and confidence in. But how do you know if you really have true faith? Well, if you have true faith, it's going to demonstrate itself. A faith that saves is a faith that shows. But even if you look at that, you go, well, how is it to show? What is it supposed to look like? We could all give you a piece of paper with some crayons and say, now I want you to color in what you think a faith ought to look like. How should it demonstrate in life? Well, James does that for us. And he says it in so many different ways, but he kind of summarizes that theme in three different particularly bullet points that speak about who we are and what we ought to be like if we really follow Jesus. And summarized in James chapter 1, verses 25 through 27. If you don't have your Bibles, try to grab one. There might be one underneath one of the seats uh, that you're sitting on or in front of you or behind you. And, and turn, to, uh, to, turn to James, that little epistle toward the end of the New Testament, and turn to the third chapter. But as you're doing that, and a lot of the passages are in your outline this morning, but not all of them. But James writes this. He says, But one who looks intently at the perfect law... The law of liberty, he's speaking about God's truth, uh, delivered to us uh, through prophets of old and uh, the apostles of that day, and abides by it, not having been a forgetful here, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Now, in some ways, I think all of us would agree we would like to be a blessed people. We would like personally to be blessed. And that sounds rather religious because it is a religious word, but really it means that we would all like to be happy. 
really even within our own constitution, we, we believe it's within our, our right to pursue happiness. But you can pursue something and never attain it. And so God says, I, I not only want you to be happy, but I want you to know how to be happy. And though it's simple, it's not necessarily easy. And, and he goes on and he says this. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and we'll, we'll describe that just for a moment, as a person who walks down the path of faith, trusting the one who, who wants you to trust him for your life, if you want that to be a, a real religion or a real faith, he says this, and yet does not bridle his tongue, deceives his own heart, and this man's religion is what? Worthless. So he says, if you want a worthless faith, then just don't have any desire to control that little muscle that, that's, that's between your teeth and your gums and is somehow encaged so that you might have some kind of control over it. Uh, just decide you can say whatever you want to whomever you want at any time and any moment, uh, and then your faith will be worthless. And then he goes on and says, but I, I got something else to say to you. And he repeats this theme over and over in the book of James. And he says, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. And, and that really speaks, is you see someone in need and you uh, just walk away with no heart desire to help them in any way possible, then your, your faith is of no value. Not only to yourself, but to the person that you should be showering out the love of God to. And, and then he says this, and to keep oneself unstained in the world. And so our, our life, as, as dirty as it is at times, need to be progressively being cleaned up. And, and so you could summarize this one I have in your outline this morning. You are blessed or you're truly happy when your faith uh, and you commit yourself to having a controlled tongue, a compassionate heart, and a clean life. A controlled tongue, a compassionate heart, and a clean life. So if you really want to know what God wants you to do in your life, that's a pretty good summary. And God summarizes a lot of things in his word about really simply put, how, do we, how should we live out our faith. But this is a, this is a pretty good uh, list of bullet points. God wants us to have a controlled tongue. And we're going to see that in more depth this morning. He, he wants that what comes out of our mouth reflect what's in our heart. And we can see it could be used for great good or for great harm. He wants us to have a compassionate heart. He, he wants us to see needs and be people say, is this a need you want me to, to, to reach out and touch and care for? Now, we can't meet everybody's need, and we can't go every different direction, but, but God can direct us and say, Here's, here, here is a need. Here are people that you can reach out to and really touch. And then he wants us to have a clean life. You know, God pours his life into our life, and we know that God is holy, and uh, he is pure. And, you know, we're going to go to a place that doesn't have necessarily pure and clean water, and we're going to try to do what we can to somehow purify it and have a, a system where they can have clean water to, to drink in, to drink, but also, also even to bathe in. I think all of us uh, would, would think twice about you know, putting ourselves in a bathtub that was just totally filthy. We would, we would try to clean it before we, we got in it and to pour the water into it. And that, that's how our lives are. When we have no desire for God to clean up what's wrong in our life, then how can God pour anything new into it? And so James, over and over again, pursues this. We need to have a controlled tongue, a compassionate heart, and a clean life. But this morning, as we reached the place where we left off last time, we were looking at uh, God's word from James. We're, we're looking at taming the tongue. And the four things I really want you to kind of be 
pursuing. I, I, I try to put some handles on it. I, I, my desire for you is to realize something. I, I want you to visualize something else. And then I want you to really confess some things and then really believe some things this morning. As it relates to that little muscle that is in your mouth that can speak words that either help or hurt. Well, let's look at it this morning. How can you tame the tongue? Or at least how can you pursue taming the tongue more than you've already tamed it already or have not tamed it at all? First of all, by realizing there are reasons you need to tame the tongue. Often we never get to first base because we have no desire to get to first base with anything, whatever, whatever it is an option for us. And so God constantly tells us not only what to do, but he also tells us why we ought to do it. And so we ought to have reasons that God wants us to, to really be diligent about pursuing um, and realizing that our, our tongue needs to be tamed. And in James chapter 3, verse 1 begins this way. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that such we will incur a stricter judgment. Now, if you do believe there is a God, and you believe that God is in control, and that he is the, the universal being that brought us into existence, and also our lives are going to be evaluated by him. You might say, I, if I'm going to be put to the test, my life's going to be put to the test, I would prefer to pass that test than to what? Fail that test. And, and then if you have any kind of heart relationship with God, say, I don't only want to pass the test, I'd like to get a pretty good grade, right? I mean, normally when you take a test, don't you normally want to get a good grade on the test? On the test, okay? So I want to get a good grade on the test. So I want to know what, what questions are more important to God than others, right? And what he says here, you need to understand that, that when this test is given, when you speak, what you say is going to be judged, and there's going to be a stricter judgment if what you say is leading people down a certain path. And really that's what a teacher is, Right? Whatever the subject, and particularly here as it relates to spiritual things, is that when we, through our life and through our words, try to help people down the path, we want to make sure we're, we're doing it well and right. Now, he's not telling us, and this is where many of us will be, well, if, if I'm going to be judged in a stricter way because I'm a teacher, I'll just decide not to be a you are so sharp. You, you guys are so right on. You know, ah, that's why I would never teach a class. I would never talk to people about spiritual things because I don't want to get it wrong. That's not what he's saying here. In fact, throughout Scripture, he will sometimes admonish people saying, you know, you should be a teacher by this time. In Hebrews chapter 5, 11 through 14, he says, you know, you've been around spiritual things long enough and and you should be teachers, but i got to bring you back to the elementary principles of what it means to, to know Jesus. When he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy, um, he told him, you know, you need to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then he says, the things that you've heard from me, and it wasn't privately, in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to others who will then be able to teach others also. So, so what we get, we're supposed to dispense out. So he's not saying that we should not teach others, but when you do teach, realize you want to get it right. Now, this is not the message on getting it right all the time, but let me just say this. All, all you have to be comfortable about is, is making sure that what you are saying, you know what you're saying about. And when people ask you questions you don't know, you simply say what? I don't know. So just teach what you know is true, and then you'll be in the safe zone. Now keep growing but dispense the truth that you already know. 
But there were those in that day who, who were like the rabbis of the days when Jesus was here uh, that thought being a teacher was kind of an elevated position. And, and so when you feel that you're in an elevated position, you'll be filled with what? Pride. In fact, the Bible says that, that um, you know, love edifies, but you know, knowledge can puff you up. And the rabbis of that day were kind of an interesting group of people uh, in some ways. They, in fact, it says in Matthew, I think, 23, that they, they love being called rabbi. Because the rabbi, to some, mean that you are the great one. And, and actually, during that day, and, and we know the Bible says it's one of the, the top ten that you're supposed to honor your, your father and mother. But they had a tradition that day, if, if a rabbi had a need and your parents had a need... The rabbi's need was much more important than the parents' need. And so they always thought that they were somehow in an exalted position. And he said, you've missed it. And that has somehow creeped into the church. And they thought, well, here's how I can feel good about myself. I'll get some kind of teaching position. And so James just hits them hard. I want you to understand that what you do in influencing people to, to follow me, if you don't get it right, there's going to be a stricter judgment because you've led people astray. And, and I guess you could put it this way, and in fact, uh, Jesus put it pretty strongly about just words in general. He said, but I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be, what? Condemned. So you could put it simply as this. By your words you will be judged. And in case you think I'm only preaching at you, by my words I will be judged. And that's simply to elevate the importance of us Desiring that our tongue is tamed, or to put it in another simple way, it is under control. That we desire to say what God wants us to say and not what he doesn't want us to say. And that can be in the spiritual realm or it can just be in the relational realm. Where we don't use words that hurt but help. Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. That's this extra credit. I didn't put that in the outline, okay? Is that, that's what God wants us to, to be. Is say, I, I want you to lift people up and not put them down. Now, we've all heard, I have to watch my time. We're only getting to the first point if I'm not careful, okay? Is that, you know, people will speak twenty five to 30,000 words a day. And if, if that be any close to how much we say in a day, We've really, we've got to be daily convinced I need to be careful about the words that come out of my mouth. Well, that's, a, that's kind of a negative motivation. You're going to be judged. Well, what's the positive motivation? Well, let, let's read uh, James two, uh, 3, verses 2 through 4. He says, For we all stumble in many ways. Uh, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a, what kind of a man? A Perfect man. I mean, that just, sometimes when the Bible says things, it just, it just blows my mind. I mean, you say if, if I could just control my, my tongue, I'd be a perfect man? 
And I think the idea there is not that you never do anything wrong, but that you are a mature man. You're, you're a, a person who, who really is going down the right path, and people can see it in your life that, that you are, you're living the life that needs to be lived. He says, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bits into the, ho- the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, and we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. Now, in terms of taking the tongue, we're just simply at the motivation level. We're realizing that there are reasons for us to taking the tongue. One is kind of a negative reason or negative motivation because we're going to be judged by it. Now, most of the time when I say something I know I shouldn't have said, I'm just hoping no one what? Heard it, right? <laughs> I'm glad no one heard that. You know, maybe, well, I won't, go, I won't give examples I shouldn't give in church. Okay? But, you know, it, you know, there's, oh, man, I'm so glad people didn't hear what I just said. But see, the, the sobering thing is there is one we know that did hear it. And who? It's God. And, and the reality is sometimes those things that we say, well, so I'm glad more people didn't hear it. Because maybe what I did say, there were some people who heard it, and it's going to be very hard for them for, to forget it. Because I've, I've damaged a relationship. I've, uh, I've damaged what that person is now thinking about themselves. I, I've now brought them down a course that I, I don't want them to go down. And I, it, it's something that I can even judge myself on. And then there will be a judgment before God. And, and God is forgiving. I, I'm, we're not missing the grace of God here. But it's just a motivation to say we need to be diligent about what comes out of our mouth. But, but there's, a, there's a positive reason here. Saying, look, at, if, you, if you put energy, if I put energy in this, and often I don't put energy in this, but I'm just saying if I put energy in and, and a heart's desire for my tongue to be tame, it's, it, it'll be like, well, let me give you an example, as James does. It's like this one, you know, half-ton animal, a horse. And what you do with a horse, and I'm not a horse expert, but, you know, you, you put this little metal thing in their mouth. And then there are reins that come up, you know, to the head, and there's someone on the back of the horse that's directing it. And you've got this little piece of metal in this mouth that will control the head, which will then control that thousand-pound animal by just a movement to the left or to the right. Just by controlling that metal piece that is so close to the tongue that everything else is controlled. And his analogy is, look, if, if we can just decide that there's a priority control in my tongue, it will start to control my head, it will control every part of my body, and, and I'll be a mature person. I'll be a perfect person. Not that I never do anything wrong, but I'll be going down the right path just by controlling that little mucus in my mouth. But then James says, well, okay, if, if you don't quite resonate with that, well, let's just, let's just talk about these big things that sometimes we get into, like these ships. And these ships, you know, you have many men that need to do all kinds of things to, to get that thing to sail, to get from point A to point B. But, you know, what really controls the direction of that ship? It's that little, that little rudder. And he said, if you can just 
if you can just control that rudder, you can control that ship. And if you can just control your tongue, you can control the ship, which is your body, which is your life. I was reading, I'm not, I'm not a World War II buff, but I was reading about in World War II that the Germans had this super boat, super destroyer battleship called the Bismarck. I don't know if you've ever read about that story, but they were, they were going into England, and they were going to take over Great Britain. And England was, they were just, I mean, this was one of those ships that was armored to the T. To the it had such huge guns racked on it, and they just thought they would be able to destroy all of Great Britain's army, uh, the Navy. Well, they had one called the Hood. That was their big ship. And the Bismarck took it out the Hood in 10 minutes, just destroyed that ship. And it looked as it was was going into the Great Britain Harbor area that it was going to really just take over everything in terms of that military defense. But there was this little plane that was hovering around and somehow was able to drop this uh, torpedo from the air. And it somehow got directed to the place in that ship where the rudder was. Destroyed the rudder. And that Bismarck all of a sudden couldn't do anything except circle in terms of its navigation. And as it could only circle, then everyone surrounded that Bismarck and sunk it. How? By simply taking control of the navigation of that ship, by taking control of that rudder, by destroying what it was doing. So God wants us to realize how important it is to tame the tongue, and it begins with just motivation, both negative and positive, reasons why this is important to us, that we want to be in control rather than out of control. There's so many things we could say about it, but it simply means control your tongue, control your life. We won't turn to the passage, but in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 23, it says that, that you know, Jesus says he was here, I'll just paraphrase it, uh, set for us an example. And then it goes on to say, One of the examples he said is that when he was rebuked and when he was mocked, he didn't return with fire in terms of the words he could say to them. And so, so often that we need to realize that at times (laughs) when we have a great comeback, we ought to just swallow those words. We just ought to resist giving people a piece of our mind that we can ill afford to lose and just stop short. I was reading, uh, Dr. McGee said this, he said, you know, it's, it's, well, since he said it, I guess I can say it in public. He said, you know, it was interesting in Numbers, there was an ass that spoke, and that's a miracle. The, the tragedy today is that we have too many asses that haven't learned how to stop speaking. <laughs> you know, there are times we ought to just close our mouth and tame our tongue. Okay, first of all, we ought to realize there are reasons for us to tame our tongue. Second, we ought to visualize how destructive it is when we don't tame the tongue. And this is just how James approaches this subject. In verses uh, 5 and 6, he says this. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a force is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very word, world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. We need to visualize just how destructive our words can be. And of course, he uses that physical illustration that we could could relate to just this weekend. 
because in Santa Clarita and some of you, I, you know, I, we, I, I get, we got our restaurant with us, some uh, friends in the church on, what night was that, Friday night? And, and I thought, is there a storm coming? I mean, it looked like r- rain clouds. Like, We're going to have rain. It wasn't rain clouds. You know, it was the Santa Clarita fire that all of a sudden we were seeing all that result of the fire that was, now they're saying it could destroy thousands of homes. I don't know how it started, but it probably started very simply. And when we think about just, just a word can destroy things. And he said, it's just, it's just a little thing, but it has huge impact. In Proverbs 26, 20, and 21, it says this, For lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisper, contention quiets down. Like charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. You know, what, is it, what does it take to destroy relationships, a family, you know, a church? Just mouths out of control. You know, when, when, when people gossip, what is gossip? Gossip simply is, is talking about things behind someone else's back that you would never say to their face. And if, you, if you're not willing to say to the face, and you know what would, ir, what, ir, what would irritate, and this is not just me a pastor, but just as a follower of Jesus, it was when some people will tell me a story, and, and then I say, well, who said that? Well, I can't tell you. Well, if you can't tell me, then don't tell me the story. Because anybody who tells you a story ought to be able to be willing to stand by the story. And when you, when you say something about somebody that maybe needs to be said, then, then be a part of the solution. Do whatever you can to say, I'm going to try to help that person. There, there might be some things that, that need to be confronted or spoken into. The Bible talks about us caring about people enough that we tell things to them that face-to-face that they need to hear. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, even the kisses of an enemy. So sometimes it's good for us to wound people, but it's for the purpose. It's like doing surgery so we get better. And on the other hand, we should never never be resonant about lifting people up. You know, In Proverbs, I think it's 27.5, which one is, 5 or 6? Better is, better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. So, so if you got, I've tried to coin a phrase here at Grace Hills that there ought to be a thing called good gossip. When you hear something good about somebody, just, man, just spread it. You hear something bad about something, just hold it to yourself or get involved in the solution. If you talk to most people why they leave a church, most people leave a church because they got their feelings hurt. And how they get their feelings hurt? Because somebody said something. And it's usually behind their back, and then somehow they got it. And, and so we need to visualize. We can visualize, probably every one of you, if we, if we were in a small group situation right now, I so said, I want you to write down an experience in your life where someone said something to you that you have never forgotten. And my guess is it's not a compliment. It's probably something that hurts you. 
and it stayed there. Even, even if you've forgiven them, it, it, it can be resurfaced. And, and maybe you've gotten over the bitterness of it. And that's what God can do for those things that have hurt you. Is that you need, the solution to that is forgive them completely. And, and as James is writing this, you say, why is, he, why is he spending so much time on the tongue? Because he realized how damaging the tongue can be. I was reading about the fire, I think it was in 1993. It was, it, it was the biggest fire we've ever had in Laguna area. Thousands of, of acres and homes, hundreds of homes, that were destroyed by, by a little fire. And we're hitting the fire season now. It's a very dry period of time. And so as we think about you know, our mouth and the words that come out of our mouth, we need to visualize how destructive it can be. And that's kind of like the first one. It gives you another motivating reason. But he, he, he spends some time talking about how that. And then, and then he speaks about, you know, when we do speak words that, that are destructive, where, that, where does that come from? It doesn't come from heaven. It comes from where? It comes from hell. And that's a, you know, you can use the word hell when you're reading from the Bible, all right? There are words that are hellish. And this picture is actually the, the only time in the New Testament this is used other than in the Gospels. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, you know, uses this word. He said, these words come from hell, from Sheol. And the picture of, of hell is it was a very geographical area in Jerusalem. It was the garbage dump that was outside the city in a gorge area. And, and what was there? It was burning garbage and trash and animals that were, that were just being whatever they call it when they, whatever they do when they die and they just stay there. And, but also criminals were thrown there. And then after, not only criminals were there, but it was the remains of those even in the past that during the period of the Canaanite history where they would sacrifice their children to the, the pagan god Molech and then dump them in that area called Sheol. And in the place where the fire never went out. And it was a putrid area. And he says that's what happens when we use destructive words. So how do we tame the tongue? By realizing there, there are reasons both negative and positive and visualize how destructive a tongue can be. And then thirdly, by confessing that, that, you, that you can't control it, but but God can. Let, let, let's, let's look at what he says here in verse 7. This is where he says we can't, we can't tame it, but implied in there is that but God can. For every species of beasts and birds and reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. It, it, it's, it's that realizing I, I'm up against a a challenge of my life that I'm not able to meet. And when, you're, when you and I are at our, the end of our rope, when we realize how much we need God's help, that's where God wants us to be. So you can't tame it, but I can. And as you think about it, there, there's amazing things people do with animals, right? I mean, that people take those tigers and, and, and lions, and they do all kinds of things with them. I just saw someone on Facebook, and they were hugging this, this lion. I'm thinking, who in the world does that kind of thing, all right? But, and you've seen, you know, eagles will go out and get their prey and then leave that, and they'll bring down that prey right at the, their master's feet. The, the one that just amazed me more than anything else, you got whales doing jump roping, you know, at SeaWorld. 
but, but I, I was reading about this, this one uh, animal tamer, and they play with snakes, and I don't know why anybody would ever play with snakes. But this one animal tamer could get to the point where they were willing to kiss a cobra. I mean, who does that kind of stuff? But he says, you know, as, as, as much as it's just mind-boggling, the people that are able to do this, says, there is a greater thing to tame, and that is your tongue. And you can't do it. But God can. And, and just throw a few passages out to you. And the first one I throw out here is in Psalm 55, 21, where you realize, you know, taming the tongue, sometimes people can disguise their tongue. You know, there, there are times I can do that fairly well where, you know, I'm, I'm sounding like I'm saying something, but I'm really saying something else. It, it, Will you ever admit to that sometimes where you're kind of a little being devious with what you're saying? And I try not to do that. I'm not, I don't want you to get the impression that's my goal. But, but anyway, Psalm 55, 21 says, His speech was smoother than butter, but his heart was war. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. He was killing you with kindness. Someone has said this about flattery. If gossip is talking to people behind their backs that you would not be willing to say to their face. Flattery is, is uh, talking to people's face but would never say those things about them behind their back because you don't really believe it. And this is the, the, the description of Psalm 55, 21. But Psalm 141, 3 and Psalm 39, 1 is really interesting. It says, this is, this is uh, David saying to, to God, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. So David realized, I can't do it. you got to do it. you got to just get me under control with the things that come out of my mouth. Does that mean all we do is let go and let God? No, there's, there's a union there. In Psalm 39.1, I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth as well as with a muzzle. I will guard my mouth as with a muzzle while the wicked are in my presence. It's kind of like saying, God, you need to put your hand over my mouth, but I need to realize I've got to be willing to put my hand over my mouth. And, and, and you know, that's a challenge. Um, there's so many stories I could tell, but I, there's a family member of mine that uh, struggles with bipolarism, manic depressive. I mean, really high one time and really, really low other times. And, and I love this person deeply. So many great memories with, with her. Uh, their family was really struggling, just handling a period of time. And so they said, well, will you just take her for a week? And I said, sure. And so she, she came in our home, and we, we saw her in both states. And when she was in her manic state, one of, one of the things that happens is that she would just talk nonstop. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation with people who, I'm, I'm, we're talking nonstop. And she would talk, 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 talk. And, and I remember one time trying to get a word in. And this was her immediate response. She threw her hand over my mouth. Because all she wanted to do was talk, and she would stop me from saying anything. And you know what? It worked. <laughs> it's hard to talk with a hand over your mouth. And that's the visual picture that we need to have at times. There are times when we so much want to say something that we just got to put a hand over our mouth. Now, th this is not in your notes, but, you know, there are many times that's, that's not the action of my life. And how do I get the action of my life than the intent of my life? Well, 
we, we got to control what's going on in our mind if we're going to control what's going to come out of our mouth. And the Bible says in Romans 12, too, do, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And how? By the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So the more I'm thinking God's thoughts, then the more my mouth is speaking out his thoughts. That doesn't mean I'm only talking about spiritual things, but my, my word, whatever subject I'm talking about, is in a, a frame which is helpful rather than hurtful. And, and I'm not talking you can't kid with people. You know, I, I just love doing that. I mean, I, I just love giving people a bad time. I love, I love people interacting with people. But am I doing to, to engage them or to hurt them? And if, if I'm doing to hurt them, then that's wrong. But if I'm just having fun with them, I, it's all right to joke around. And we're not talking about you can't joke. But, but is it your desire that your tongue helps or, or you're not concerned whether it hurts? You're asking God to put a hand over our muzzle over your mouth, and you're willing to put your own hand over your mouth. And the, Proverbs, the book of Proverbs has so many, so many things. I think it's, it, oh, by the way, in your outline where it says Psalm 15:28 and Psalm 15:1. if you go to Psalm 15, you'll realize there is a verse 1, but there isn't a verse 28 because it's really, I, I put it down wrong. I didn't proofread very well. It's Proverbs 15:28 and Proverbs 15:1. And there are so many practical statements about how we ought to rethink how we speak. And, and, and some of them aren't very, very radical. You, would, you say, well, why didn't I think about that? But in Psalm 15, 28, I mean, Proverbs 15, 28 says, a man thinks before he speaks, basically. I'm just paraphrasing that. You know, if I, if I would just stop a moment to think before I spoke, maybe I would speak a little bit better. And then Psalm 15, 1, it says not only, not only is it the content that's out of, the, out of your mouth, but how you say it. Psalm 15.1, I keep saying Psalm. Proverbs 15.1 says this, that a, a soft answer turns away what? Wrath. So sometimes, in fact, we need to all realize it's not only what you say, but how you say it. It's the tone of your voice. It's the body language. It's the gestures you're making. It's the, the ability to look into a person's eyes in a caring way rather than an angry way. And, and so with God's help, we can have our tongue much more in control. But we need to realize that we can't do it on our own. So how do we tame our tongue? By, by realizing there are reasons to tame our tongue. By visualizing how destructive our tongue can be. By confessing that we can't control it, only God can. And then, then finally he kind of summarizes this section in, in his letter to the churches. Uh, is that you need to believe that, that we really... Reveal who we really are and ought to be when we tame our tongue. It almost comes full circle. He said, you will really reveal the real you by how you communicate to others. And it's not only who you are, but what you ought to be. See, the Christian life is, is all about not, not settling. That, that God doesn't want you just to remain as you are now. He wants you to, to continue on that journey and that path. We all sometimes get in ruts or we, we don't progress spiritually or, or down the, the ways of growth that God wants us to be. But God says, that doesn't have to be. Be who you are and then what you ought to be. It's a both you must and you will. You are and you're going to be. It's, it's that tension spiritually. God, we have everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness. That God's spirit is sufficient for everything that we need. And in God's eyes that we are righteous. By his grace, he sees us through his love. And we have God's righteousness. 
but we want to now live it out. And, and so James concludes this section before he goes on to speaking about living out a life of wisdom. He, he goes and says this in verses 8 through um, 12. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. We already read that. But in verse 9, he says, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse. Men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brother, these things ought not to be this way. And I'm sure I'm like many of you. Sometimes I've prayed about something, and God controlled my anger or my attitude toward this. In a, in a millisecond, it seems like I've got the exact opposite response. And it's so easy to do the exact opposite that you, that you know God wants you to be. And, and that's this is a challenge. But he says that ought not to be. In fact, that's the only time that, that phrase ought not to be is in the New Testament. It's a very strong, negative exhortation. Don't live this way. Verse 11. Does a fountain send out both the same opening, both fresh and bitter water? You know, if you hit a drinking fountain, you're either going to get good water or bad water. But in our mouths, we get both coming out. Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Neither can salt water produce fresh. He said that, that ought to be the reality of who you are, who you are and what you ought to be. But it is a challenge, and it is a journey. And I basically leave you with this. You know, consider Peter. You know, Peter is described in so many different ways in the New Testament by you know, preacher types or teacher types. You know, he's the, he's the apostle with the uh, foot-shaped mouth. You know, why is he the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth? Because he's always putting his foot in his mouth, right? And, and there are times he says some things, you go, what, what an awesome example of following Jesus. I mean, he, he, he got it right. And he'd be praised by Jesus for getting it right. In Matthew chapter 16, you know, Jesus asking the question, you know, who do men say that I am? This was a pretty important question. This is going to be on the test. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say Jesus is? And Peter got it right. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, that's such a great answer. I want you to know that you just didn't figure that out. God allowed you to figure that out, and that's why you spoke it. Right on Peter. And he would often talk about his, how much he would be faithful to God, and if everyone else deserted him, he would not. And often when he would do that, obviously he was putting his trust in himself and not the power of Jesus in his life. And so at the, the most important time that Jesus needed those around him to, to support him, you know, Peter followed him, but from a distance. So often we do that. And then he got caught. And, and these little servant girls were saying, hey, what, haven't you been with Jesus? Didn't I see you with him? You know, and he, he politely said no, you know, first time and second time and and then he, it says that he began to curse repeatedly that he did not know him. So there are going to be times when we, when, when we don't tame our tongue. And that's not the end of God's grace or mercy. But it's just a reminder to us. It's like Peter. Okay, you messed up, but today is a new day. Not go down the right path. Remember, there are, there are reasons to control your tongue. Visualize there is destructive power in the tongue, but you need to confess that God is able to control your tongue. You can't do it, but God can. And there's a, gay, a way that God wants you to live that is, is the way you ought to live, but it's really the way who you are because I've made you a new person in Christ. You're a new creature. So you can live like it. So, so what is... I put it this way, to who 
And what, where, when, why, and how you say it really does matter. That's almost another message in itself. Because all the, all the questions you could ask of life are related to your tongue. Who, who are you speaking to when you, when you speak? And why are you speaking that way? And what are you saying? And when are you saying it? And where are you saying it? And how are you saying it? It does matter. And if we can learn to control our tongue, we can control everything else in our life. Because it's that little, that little bit that controls the head and then controls everything else. Let's pray together. Father, this is one of those messages that all of us say, it's, this is so true of what needs to happen in our lives. And for some of this morning, we, we got so many good things to say, and, and, and we're like that, that person in Proverbs where we've got love that is concealed. And God wants us to, to share it and, and proclaim it in, in relationships and in speaking truth. And others realize that they're often we are too loose with our tongue. And, and we need to, at times, just back away. Father, I would pray that each one of us might just wrestle with the applications for our own lives and, and where it touches down. But Father, also we would just pray for anyone here that doesn't know you. Might They realize it's the first step is, is knowing. Knowing the Savior that we're to live for. That Jesus died so that we don't have to die for our own sins. He offers life if we'll put our trust and confidence in Him. As we give and continue to worship, might He be the center of our lives. And we ask this in Christ's name.